BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The availability of intensive care unit beds at many Southern California hospitals has reached 0% because of the explosion of COVID patients. Forecasts predict if infection rates continue, there could be thousands of people in need of ICU beds in the region by early next month. Meanwhile, San Francisco has issued a pandemic travel order effective today. Anyone visiting or returning to the city from outside the Bay Area must quarantine for 10 days. Citing the surge in COVID cases and hospitalizations, Health Director Dr. Grant Colfax said, Imagine not having a hospital bed for your mom or your dad, your grandmother, or even your child. Imagine them getting suboptimal care. Would you want that? I certainly wouldn't want that. According to county data, ICU bed capacity in San Francisco stands at about 28%. The COVID pandemic has been tough for California's childcare providers as well. Many have struggled to keep their doors open in order to care for the children of essential workers, and they're getting little support themselves. KQED's Katie Orr spoke with two women who are trying to make it all work. Child care provider Katina Richardson has a lot on her plate these days. She's juggling kids aged two to nine. Wow! Okay, you guys, let's make sure we use our inside voice. And some new responsibilities as well. Remember, we have our school age kids here zooming today. Richardson owns and operates the Littles Daycare out of her home in Hayward, California. The pandemic has presented a number of challenges, including dealing with distance learning. Normally, Richardson wouldn't see her older kids until after school got out. But with many of their parents working, she has made her home their school. Now we're also juggling three to four different teachers that Zooming with the children. So now we're finding quiet spaces so that they can kind of focus. Richardson isn't doing it on her own. She has the help of her assistant and friend, Andrea Williams. Good morning, Miss Andrea. How are you this morning? Williams said she had another job working with autistic kids, but she stopped working there in an attempt to limit her social bubble. This is her home, and then I go to my home, which I have a grandbaby that's three years old at my home. And, and my daughter mom and elderly mom. So I have to make sure that I'm safe at all times to make sure that they're safe when I go home. It's a stressful situation for everyone. Richardson and Williams say they're constantly acting as teachers, trying to keep the kids protected and trying to keep Richardson's home extra clean. And while schools have budgets and staff and supply chains to help get them through, child care providers are largely on their own. These women say it can be exhausting. Everything has just come down 
even, you know, just washing their sheets, their blankets more often. And, and then herself, because she has to buy these extra supplies for her home to make sure that she's safe. I have to buy extra supplies for my home to make sure that I'm safe. And we didn't get anything for being essential workers. Thousands of providers across the state have decided it's easier to close than to navigate the pandemic. The Department of Social Services estimates more than 2,400 providers have permanently closed. Thousands more have endured temporary closures after being exposed to COVID. In order to keep her doors open, Richardson and Williams make safety a top priority. They wear masks and face shields and try to limit their physical contact with the kids, who also wear masks. There are procedures in place for drop-off and pickup. All the kids have to put their coats into a tote so that they're not touching. We have a thermometer. We're taking their temperatures and logging it daily as they're entering the daycare. Richardson also bought plexiglass dividers she puts between the kids to help stop the spread of germs. She switched to paper plates and cups for mealtimes. She and Williams are constantly wiping down surfaces and toys. For the most part, Richardson says the children have adapted well. The kids have really caught on. They really caught on. I'm really proud of them for what they do as little people. Still, she says it's not fair to make providers like her handle the pandemic without more support. And the state needs to understand that, that us as providers, I have not shut my door, not one day. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. For child care providers like the ones you just heard, there's now a direct line to state officials to make the case that more resources are needed to do the job safely. In fact, just yesterday, the newly ratified Child Care Providers Union had its second bargaining meeting with the state. Reporter Deepa Fernandez has more. Healthcare workers and nursing home residents are the state's top priority for receiving the COVID vaccine. Childcare workers might be next, but that's not top in the negotiating list for the state's tens of thousands of home-based childcare providers, says Alexa Frankenberg, executive director of the new union. You know, someone asked me the other day, are people excited about the vaccine? And it's like, people are trying to keep their doors open right now. They're trying to keep their families safe and healthy. That is still the area of major focus for childcare providers. 30 of these providers met virtually Thursday with state officials, where they presented a 10-point plan for improving working conditions. One demand was to continue the program that pays providers when they have to close their doors to quarantine due to a COVID case. And then there are the more basic needs the pandemic has presented. There has been supplies and PPE that have been provided at various points, we are asking for an extension and regular allocation of that. Also discussed was help for providers who've been forced to close during the pandemic so they can reopen. And the vaccine did come up, Frankenberg says. This is a set of individuals that don't have paid sick days through an employer. And so how do we think about what is needed for those that are getting vaccinated and might have adverse reactions? The next bargaining meeting is scheduled for January. For The California Report, I'm Deepa Fernandez. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey. 
It's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. The United Farm Workers Union and two Foster Farms employees are suing the poultry company. They're asking a judge to immediately force Foster Farms to protect workers from COVID-19 inside one of the company's plants in the Central Valley. KQED's Alex Hall has that story. The lawsuit argues that Foster Farms requires some employees at its Livingston plant to work within about two feet of each other, and that the company does not supply workers with masks or adequately inform them of safety protocols and sick leave benefits they may be entitled to. Plaintiff's attorney Monique Alonzo says Foster Farms has not complied with a health order issued by Merced County in August after an outbreak where just under 400 workers were infected and nine people died. Their compliance has been incomplete. Uh, It's been inconsistent. And uh, they obviously need something a little stronger than the county of Merced saying you need to do this. There are now three outbreaks at Foster Farms plants throughout the Central Valley. The company did not immediately comment on the lawsuit, but has said it prioritizes employee safety and that workers at the plant are being tested twice a week. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. That's the sound of a crowded restaurant and bar last night in San Diego, where lots of customers were seen eating indoors and not social distancing. Any place that serves food in San Diego is now allowed to reopen after a Superior Court judge ruled in favor of two San Diego strip clubs that defied the statewide shutdown order. From KPBS, here's Jacob Ayer. Judge Joel Wolfell said that there was no compelling evidence that allowing restaurants to operate with health and safety restrictions adds to the risk of spreading COVID-19. General Manager Alex Navarrete of Karina's Restaurant Group says the decision is a blessing during a difficult year. And now we have to get the word out now that we are open again indoors as well and outdoors and get our customers back in. And and it is a, a glimmer of hope that now we can get maybe some income for the employees. Businesses will still have to follow COVID-19 safety practices based on the state's tier system, which is linked to COVID spread. For The California Report, I'm Jacob Ayer in San Diego. The state is appealing the San Diego judge's ruling to the 4th District Court of Appeals. In Sacramento, Democratic lawmakers are renewing a push to end mandatory prison sentences for certain drug crimes. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Judges aren't always allowed to send drug offenders to rehab or probation, and State Senator Scott Weiner says they should be. California helped pioneer mass incarceration in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, despite our progressive reputation. Uh, and now it should be on California to help lead the way out of mass incarceration. His bill would allow judges to choose between jail time, probation, or other options for nonviolent drug offenders who are convicted of crimes like possessing a half ounce of heroin or selling meth. 
The measure has support from liberal leaders in the criminal justice sphere, like newly sworn in Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon. Several other states have also relaxed mandatory sentencing laws in recent years. This will be the fourth iteration of this bill in California. Previous versions stalled after Weiner says they hit procedural roadblocks. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's Weekly Magazine. This week, KQED's Carly Severin reexamines the history of the Donner Party to uncover a deeper story about racism and injustice. You might be familiar with this story. A band of 81 people traveling over the Sierra Nevada in covered wagons, imprisoned in snowdrifts as high as buildings, and forced to turn to cannibalism to survive. At least, that's the ghoulish shorthand version. The way the story has been shaped and evolved over time, it really shows you where emphasis was placed when it came to human life. That's Dalton Brown, a member of the Wilton Rancheria tribe outside of Sacramento. It was the land of his ancestors, the Miwok and Nisanan people, that these settlers were trying to reach in 1846. The last Donner Party survivor was brought down off the mountain just nine months before gold was discovered in California. And it was during this time of shocking change that the state's dark reckoning with the Donner disaster unfolded. Almost two centuries on, yes, the Donner Party is sometimes still treated like a pop culture punchline. But this saga might tell us a very different story about California and this nation as a whole. KQD's Carly Severn. Her documentary about the Donner Party airs on this week's California Report magazine. You can tune into the show on this station or download the podcast. And that's the California Report for Friday, December 18th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with additional engineering from Seal Muller and Jim Bennett. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Alice Wolfley, and Holly J. McDeed. Our editor is Angela Corral. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Have a great day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically, learn more at irvine.org, and Paint Care, now with 770 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.